All right. We have a great episode of Side Retired, the LB podcast coming at you guys today. It is a special Tuesday edition of the podcast. Let's hit the intro button and we'll get right into this. Hello, and it is Tuesday, October 10th. We've got the whole crew here talking about the divisional series so far. It's Dylan Campione, James Tausig, Matt Potter, Nico Fernandez, and David Halpert here talking about all things Major League Divisional Series, as well as we've got some interesting rule changes that might be on the horizon for Major League Baseball that we'll get into in a second. But before we get into that, Nico, how you doing? And complain, bro. I mean, wish the O's were making me look real stupid being down 0-2. But other than that, playoff baseball's good. And we've got, we're doing this episode not on our regular Sunday schedule, and we're going to announce here for the rest of the postseason, you likely will not be getting your regular weekend recaps on Sunday nights releasing Monday morning. The schedule is now going to be a little bit more fluid going forward, at least for the rest of this month, as we're instead going to be giving you these instant reactions to whenever something unique happens in the playoffs. We will, of course, be bringing you your two interview episodes per week as usual. Those will be on the lookout around Wednesday and Friday. But again, the flexible schedule is going to be a thing the rest of this month for our recaps, our instant reactions, and for our episodes. So make sure to be on the lookout for all the socials at Side Retired Pod on Twitter and on Instagram for all the latest updates there. But the division series in full swing. All four have played in two games. We're going to start in the American League. And we've got the Texas Rangers went into Baltimore and won the first two games. James, is this series over now that the next two games are also going back to Texas? Uh, yeah, this series is over. Uh, Uvalde on the on the hill for Texas here in game three. Uh, he's just a different beast in the playoffs. I don't really see how the Orioles can combat this. Um, yeah, I mean, the problem all along all season was going to be the Orioles starting pitching, and, and that seems to have come back to bite them uh, here in the postseason. And Nico, does the... I'm not going to call it failure of the Orioles in the playoffs, but if they get swept out here or they lose in four games, does it change how you look at their season this year? Or is it still a, hey, they won the AL East, they put up a really solid season regardless? I think absolutely not. I mean, the Orioles, in my mind, are ahead of schedule still. I mean, they still have guys developing. Courage Dad got called up for September. Jackson Holiday, they still have in the minor leagues. I think that a lot of people, they're probably going to see this as a disappointment because, again, they were just so good. But I think the two things are the Rangers are back to what they were in May. And when we saw them in May, we were like, this is the best team in the American League, clearly. They kind of fell off, but they're just back to being that. And then the second thing is the amount of guys that the Orioles still have to call up for them to get to like what we expect them to be. People, I think guys into baseball realize this, but people need to know the best player in the minor leagues is still a part of the Orioles. They've had the best player in the minor leagues for like the last, what, like five, six years, it feels like. They're getting another one up. And of course, everyone's saying this may be the best guy they have. So I think it's more that they're just ahead of schedule and this wasn't their year. Matt, do you think this is now the Rangers, I guess they would call it league to lose. And then you look at the Astros and the Twins have been very even matched so far. And the Rangers have really dominated the Orioles. And there's a little rumor that Max Scherzer will likely be activated for the ALCS next week. Do the Rangers have a very easy path to making the World Series now? I, you know, the Astros in September and October, 
always scare me. Um, are the Rangers dominating the Orioles? Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, even at this point, it's not fair to say that, oh, the Orioles might have been overrated this year. Like, I think the Orioles were fantastic this year and Texas is just dominating them. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if if the Rangers are in the World Series this year. Um, but, you know, don't count out the Strohs ever. Yeah, Nico, keep going. Yeah, I think, again, this postseason, we start to get in the thing of how soon can you win to get your starting pitching in order? I think we saw it a lot, not kind of expected, but with the Diamondbacks, so we'll talk about later. Having the ability to have your guys on the mound game one, matching up with either their number ones or hopefully like a number four or five. I think if the Rangers get this sweep quickly, if they're able to get the sweep and the Twins just continue to drag this out both ways, they have a chance that they have Avaldi Montgomery, who's been hot facing the number four or five on the Astros or the number four or five on the Twins, which I think that's going to benefit them a lot. I think, again, with postseason everything, they need to get this done. This can't stretch to five games where you have to waste all your bullpen pieces, all your pitching, because you can get your starting pitching looking at a really good spot, especially when you have guys like Evaldi and Montgomery, who in the postseason they've pitched very well. I think it's really important that if they're going to win this series, get it done now. This can't go back to Baltimore for five. And David, I'll come to you on this one as we've got a game three matchup, as James mentioned, Nathan Evaldi takes the mound against Dean Kramer, who's pitching in probably the most important game of his career. I know he committed to play for Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic in March, but I don't think he got in on the action. So is this series over by the time people are listening to this today? Um, I'm just going to tell you this. I think Dean Kramer is going to be pitching out of his mind on that day. I think Dean Kramer is going to pitch an absolute gem. And even if he doesn't get the win, I think this is not getting swept. I don't think the Orioles are getting swept. All right, I like it. Let's go on to the other series in the American League that we know will not be a sweep. The Astros and the Twins are tied up one apiece. Carlos Correa has had his say in this series. James, how's it going to shake up? Yeah, it's it's really interesting to me um, because when I've, I've watched both games of the series, I, I don't know. It's still, it still feels like it's the same Twins team. Like, I mean, I think the major difference is that I guess they've just kind of pitched their way through it this year. I mean, the, the offense hasn't been that potent except for game two against the Astros. It, I, I don't know. I still can't just shake off that it's the Twins and that they can win games in the postseason. Um, you know, the Astros starting pitching, uh, aside from Verlander, has been a problem all year. I mean, Valdez has been solid, but, you know, didn't look too good on uh, on Sunday night. Um but yeah, I, I still think Houston maintains the control in this series. Uh, as long as they get one in Minnesota, they'll have Verlander back for game five. Uh, and we know playoff Verlander is just a different beast. Um, so yeah, I, I think Houston still has the upper hand. They're the better team. Uh, I think they'll they'll find a way to to get at least one uh, in Minnesota. And we've got Christian Javier versus Sonny Gray in game three. No now starters for game four yet. Nico, your thoughts on the series as well as just anyone in general you want to highlight. I mean, the guy you just said, I think Christian Javier is going to be huge. I mean, I think we've seen moments where Christian Javier has shown a stuff. I mean, last year he led the league in opponent batting average, absolutely shoved against some teams. I think if we get 2022 Christian Javier, it's going to be 2-1. I don't see any way that I think if we get the prime Christian Javier, I don't think Sonny Gray is going to be able to keep up with that. I think Sonny Gray is going to have a solid outing. 
But I think it's all going to depend on what we get out of Christian Javier. If he shows up and has been the guy from 2022, it's going to be two on Astros. If we see 2023 Christian Javier just full of inconsistency, they're going to have a, a long way ahead of them. They're going to have to face, they're going to be down one, two. And Matt, as our resident New York Mets fan, I have to come to you on this one in that Carlos Correa is doing pretty well so far in the MLB playoffs. He Yesterday, with his two RBI performance, now passed David Ortiz and Derek Jeter to become, I believe, fourth all-time, maybe fifth all-time in playoff RBIs. We're a year out of this, and I know he signed a six-year contract, and with the New York Mets, it would have been a 12-year contract, but is Carlos Correa the like top generational shortstop we have right now out of the class of guys just for pure moments, as well as is he going to live up to this contract that he signed with the Minnesota Twins? He's good, no doubt, right? I mean, he has a ring, or he's two, right, with Houston. Yep. Um, but I mean, you know, you guys like you guys, you guys like Trey Turner, still in the league. You know, it's 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 not it's not the Carlos Correa show. Let's let's make that perfectly clear. Um, sure, he's performing well in the playoffs, but um, I just I don't see the the I think it's it's crazy to say that he is the best generational shortstop in the league. I mean, based on playoff success, which kind of is what built Derek Jeter, it seems like, and by no way am I calling Correa the next Derek Jeter, and I'm getting crazy looks right now, but the playoff success, he's there every year. He steps up in the moment when it's big. He dealt with adversity this offseason by failing to sign with the Giants and the Mets, went back to Minnesota, as we know from our Twins expert, Nash Walker. They're falling in love with him to the point that they want to build a statue for him already. And the Astros fans still love him because I know there's that whole everyone was wishing him good luck in Houston. So Carlos Correa is sneakily becoming one of the biggest names in baseball. And it started off as the villain role with the Astros. And now he's kind of broken away as the leader of the Minnesota Twins, Nico. Yeah, I actually completely agree with the comp. I think the comp is in to see Gray's shortstop of our generation because I think there's guys who have just outperformed him in the regular season. Trey Turner's Andrew Bogart's. Lindor probably comes to mind from a regular season perspective, but the comp of Derek Jeter is, I think, really where that is with Correa because I think he can go down as maybe not the best shortstop because of Jeter, but one of the greatest infielders in postseason history. If he isn't already one of them, I mean, there's not a lot of guys that you can put ahead of him from a postseason perspective from the infield perspective. I think he's great in the postseason i think guys get their value when they play after 162 so i don't think it's generational because you still have to count the regular season but if he keeps this up i think he may go down as one of the top three greatest infielders to be in the postseason and when you think about he's only around 30 right now and he's already in that top five leaderboard for rbis passing jeter and passing ortiz and i know the astros were in the playoffs every year and the minnesota twins sorry, no offense, are likely not to be in the playoffs every single year of this six, seven-year contract with Correa. But it'll be interesting to see if he eventually climbs up that ranking. I believe he has around 61 RBIs, and the record is Manny at 80 RBIs in the playoffs. If he ends up being the number one RBI guy in Major League postseason history, that's got to be worth something, just to keep an eye on. And not a Hall of Famer just yet, but he's getting up there i think his war is pretty high at this point considering he's only halfway done with his career it's just gonna be a matter of does he get injured are the mets gonna look stupid for saying that his ankle is already like broken and shattered and don't want him for the next 11 years david you've had your hand raised so 
Give us your thoughts on Correa, the Twins, the Astros in general, and then we'll move on to the National League. I'm just going to say this. If Carlos Correa, this year in general, can single-handedly be one of the main guys that helps the Minnesota Twins beat the Astros in this series and then eventually help the Twins as a whole win this year's World Series Mm -hmm. because he already won one with Houston, won a ring with the Houston Astros. If he wins the ring this year again with the Twins, Mm -hmm. I think he automatically puts himself as the best shortstop in postseason history when it comes to hitting and when it comes to clutch. I like it. James? Yeah, I was just listening to your point about how if he he became the uh, player with the most RBIs in postseason history, that would mean something. Um, and, and that just makes me think of Bernie Williams and how he has the most, and, and that apparently means nothing. So uh, just something to keep in mind for all baseball fans. I think Manny is the um, most, not Bernie Williams. Well, Bernie's number two, or he's he's right there. So Okay. But, I agree but just saying that Bernie Hall of Fame. <laughs> Bernie Williams, who Matt Potter met on a special night. that, And I want to add this. Manny <laughs> yeah. Machado will not be remembered in the postseason if he doesn't get his ring. That is correct. I, I agree with you on that one. Uh, let's move on to the National League, and we'll go with the Phillies and the Atlanta Braves, who are currently tied up at one apiece thanks to a late-night heroics home run from Austin Riley. I thought if Philly came in and won both of the games here in Atlanta, Series probably was looking dead, but we're now here tied a piece. We're going to Philadelphia. Nico, I'll let you start on this one. Your thoughts on the series so far? I think this was the most important game for, to be honest, the whole postseason. Because I think that, again, I think a lot of people were looking at Twitter and they saw a lot of stuff of the of the break stuff and how that was affecting people. And I think the Braves were people to watch because it was kind of, they were the prime example because if their offense really slowed down after the historic season because of the five days, I think fans were just going to go crazy and want to ban the three-game series. So I think the fact that they're able to battle back, obviously you had that great play by Michael Harris causing the, the base running difficulties by Bryce Harper. But I think that this game, not only for the Braves, because obviously they would have been down 2-0 going into the probably the hardest place to play in the MLB, on top of the fact that the whole story was that, oh, the five-game break, the five-day break is going to ruin the top seeds, and then they were able to come back and win. I think that's big for multiple reasons, just outside the series. James, is this series getting back to Atlanta, or are the Phillies about to take the next two and call it a quits? I mean, Dylan, you're asking me all these tough questions. Like I can just see into the future. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think this was a wake-up call for Atlanta. I think Philadelphia – is the better team. Um, I, 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 Zach Wheeler just lost it tonight. It seemed to just go away so quickly with that Darno leaving that slider up. Um, I think Philadelphia is a better team. Uh, I mean, Trey Turner can't keep playing sloppy uh, defense the way he did tonight. Um, I know it was five nothing when he made that second error, but you know that kind of got that kind of got Atlanta going. I got the fans back on their feet. That kind of gave them some hope. Um, I think Philly wins, but I think the, the series goes five games. Potter, as a Mets fan, how are you doing facing and seeing the Braves and Phillies once again dominating October? I mean, at this point, I guess you just got to root for good baseball, right? Like two good, I mean, two good teams playing a good series. Um, 
it'll be interesting seeing it going back to Citizens Bank. Um, from what I've heard, I've never been there before. I've heard it's just absolutely impossible to play in. Um, so I think it, it'll be really interesting to see how the Braves adapt. Um, you know, probably the hottest offensive team, maybe minus the Rangers at certain points during the season. Um, see how they adapt to the postseason atmosphere in the bank. And we've got Aaron Nola starting game three for the Phillies. Might be his last start as a Phillies, a free agent at the end of this year. And checked out the future side retired TikTok account where we're mentioning a lot of stuff about Aaron Nola. Nico, a little shout out plug there. But David, I'll come to you. Predictions for the series, Phillies, Braves. What's going to happen? Mm, I just, even though the Phillies have been on their hot tear, just with this game in general, with the Braves coming up clutch to come back down 4 nothing to win 5-4, a double play to end it, one of the craziest double plays you'll ever see, mm-hmm. a catch at the wall, and then they threw Harper out at first. Like, that was nuts. That was just beyond nuts. Yep. Um, but I just don't see the Phillies, especially against this Phillies team, beating them in four games. I see this going to five and the Braves winning. I like it. I'll be back in Atlanta for that game five. We'll wrap things up with the kind of screwed Los Angeles Dodgers who have been lifeless for two games. Clayton Kershaw and what could have been his last start as a Dodger got destroyed. And then Bobby Miller proceeded to give up three runs in the first inning as well tonight. So shout out the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're now one win away from eliminating the 100-win Los Angeles Dodgers. James, Mr. Arizona, who's denied that the Arizona Diamondbacks are good all season long and then was not here for the episode when the Arizona Diamondbacks made the playoffs and then was not here for the episode that the Arizona Diamondbacks knocked off the Milwaukee Brewers in the wild card. Is it time to admit you're wrong? No. <laughs> I refuse to give up this take. At what point will you admit the Diamondbacks are kind of good? garbage. The Dodgers are just worse. At what point is it a wrong take? Like, if they lose in the <laughs> NLCS, is it like, oh, I was right no. on because they were no. like. No, because the, the Brewers are fraudulent. Well, the, so, the thing, I'm so, just saying, so if they, the if they take down like one if they of win the NL series. teams. No, the pro, no, no, no. The, if they win the World Series, I'll be wrong. So if, if they, they make the World NLCS, Series, no, right. no, How is because, no, because the team, the team that's beaten the Brewers in the playoffs the last like seven years has gone to the World Series. So that's an unfair caveat to this, this bet. If, if they, if they win the World Series, I'll be wrong. <laughs> but, but that's, what do you mean? So you're saying <laughs> if they're the best team in baseball, you lose. But if they're the second best team in baseball, you're right that they suck. Yes. <laughs> what are we doing here? They have they have two pitchers and like three guys that can hit. I'm tired of watching this team play. They're no good. They got to face they got to face playoff Kershaw and a rookie. They just, they keep dodging all these. All these well, they got Lance Lynn in game three. That I agree with you. I think this series is far from over. I think the fact that again, the big question for the Diamondbacks has been Merrill Kelly's had a great year. Don't think he's that good, but I'll give it to him. Um, Gallon, dog. It's after these two that they have to find three wins. So I think again, Merrill Kelly or Zach Allen are short rest, a lot different than them full rest. I think this series is honestly far from over. 
I wouldn't be surprised if this goes five. Like, I, to be honest, if you ask me, I think this goes five. Because There's no way they can win a seven-game series. There's that's, no I completely agree with that. I think I think after Merrill Kelly and Gallon, someone's these step up. I don't know who that is for the Diamondbacks. Like, there's some guys on some teams like Bobby Miller, I can see in a seven-game series, even though he didn't pitch well today, where he steps up. I can see guys. I don't see who steps up for the Diamondbacks after them, too. I'm I'm railroading this debate. MLB should have four seven-game playoff series. I'm tired of watching <laughs> these fraudulent teams with two starting pitchers make a deep run in the playoffs because because it's trash. It's annoying. I, I don't like watching it. Teams who have deep staffs and good bullpens should be rewarded for it by playing seven games. Every series should be seven games. Wild card five. Five, seven, seven, seven. We're going to be baseball. playing baseball till end of November at that point. Oh, no. Then they should shorten the regular season. Make the World Series game seven on Thanksgiving. No. Just so play. No. Play so two, three, two, two, three, two, and don't give all these extra days off. You could fit the season in the same amount of time. But we can get the World Series and Thanksgiving and beat Thursday night football. <laughs> exactly. I completely agree. David, you've had your hand raised. You have something to say about this series? Quite honestly, yes. Oh. Um, if Lance Lance Lynn, I don't really trust him. He's okay. not really young as young of a pitcher anymore. Sure, he's a veteran that can eat innings, but with a Arizona Diamondbacks team that's been hitting off these old guys, they hit off old Kershaw, who's been the best regular season pitcher. But this is the postseason. Okay. Kershaw proves that again in Game One that he's only a great regular season pitcher despite getting his ring. But that was in the shortened 2020 season. Uh, if Lance Lynn, who is facing off against, it says here, Lynn against Fat. Yes, know Brandon Fat is pitching game three. And he has a 10.13 ERA as of right now in the postseason. If the Dodgers lose that game, they are the biggest choke in the MLB postseason, without a question. You had home advantage for this series, and you lose to a team – that had mostly rookies, a couple of starters, and not really much of a bullpen other than Ginkle, maybe a few others that I can't really think of. Yeah. But uh, they're going to get swept if Lynn doesn't make it out of the third inning. I like the prediction. I will say if the Dodgers get eliminated early again, it'll be interesting to see what happens, whether Dave Roberts keeps his job, whether – that's the motivation to say, screw it. Let's go spend $500 million on Otani. The rotation they might need a new manager after this if they screwed us up. Hot take alert. But they have also dealt with a ton of injuries. Walker Bueller is out. Dustin May is out. We know about the Julio Urias situation, why he's out. And uh, those are three of their five main rotation pieces. So Trevor Bauer is out. That is also yes, yes, factual yes, statement there. Each Red Sox. <laughs> but so yeah when you're losing i guess we can call it four of your starting pitchers and kershaw obviously has his struggles in the playoffs and now they're relying on bobby miller emmett sheehan ryan pepio it is a lot to ask for out of this young staff but i think out of a hundred win team you're expecting a lot better than what we've gotten so far out of the yeah. los angeles dodgers so far yeah yeah i mean i agree i think this is where you have to start asking the question of where's noah Syndergaard? you know how could you dispose of a guy like that trade deadline um you know, when I think Noah Syndergaard, uh, I think superstar pitcher. Uh, I mean, I can't help but think back to his time uh, 
you know, a short time ago back in 2015 <laughs> where he was dominating hitters um, with that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. So, uh, Greatest guardian of all time. Dodgers. They they traded Noah for Ahmed Rosario, who did not even make the NLDS roster. So not Dodgers. all trades work out grateful for the L.A. Dodgers. <laughs> they could also use a, a big-time bat like Jordan Alvarez, but he got traded for Josh Fields as well. But to transition topics a little bit, we've been talking a lot about the postseason, and I know – Fans of those teams are not really looking forward to 2024 yet, but we do have our eye a little bit on the future of baseball. And thanks to a couple of little tips that we've received, Major League Baseball is looking forward to their future already. And entering the 2023 season, the big thing was pace of play. And we saw the pitch clock. We saw bigger bases. We saw the increase in like the pickoff moves leading to more stolen bases. So the rules were changing in the sport. And it was a success, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, that there were only nine games that were three and a half hours long, as opposed to in the past, there were over, I believe it was like 230 games of that length. So they're on to their next thing. And this year's target, according to sources, is limiting velocity and limiting pitcher usage because injuries have gone up. We've seen Tommy John surgeries increase from high-end pitchers like Jacob DeGrom, Shane McClanahan, Sandy Alcantara, Felix Bautista, and a lot of arms that are usually pillars of consistency, minus DeGrom in that point, suddenly got injured. And no coincidence, the amount of velocity in baseball is going up. In order to pitch in the majors, you need to throw 97 miles an hour, it seems like. And every reliever throwing 100 is normal, whereas in years past, Araldis Chapman was special because he threw 100. So Major League Baseball is trying to figure out ways to limit that. And in effort, they're going to have less velocity, which will lead to better health, which will lead to more, I don't, you know, better brand of baseball because less velocity, kind of easier to hit, more balls in play. We get the gist of where this is going at this point. Someone cut me off if they don't. So we have three proposed ideas that are circulating around the inner workings of Major League Baseball right now. And they range from pretty simplistic to, you know, they're going to shake up the game a little bit. So I'll go to Nico first. Would you like the most reasonable or do you want to get a little funky on this late night edition of the podcast? I'm kind of torn because at the end of the day, I think everyone loves seeing 100. But at the same time, gone are the days of like Levon Hernandez, who just throws 93 and leads the league in innings every single year. I think that we're in like an age where gone is starting pitchers who are throwing at like 80%, like 90% intensity, and then saving it for when they get into jams. I think that everyone's trying to throw hard. So I think obviously that's going to relate to more injuries. Depending on what the MOB wants to implement, I don't know how that's going to go. But I think that, again, I hate to say that I have faith in Rob Manfred, but, I mean, this year the rules went well. So We at have least, faith in our boss, Rob Manfred, or at least At least boss. seeing what he has to offer. I mean, he. I have to give it to them. I thought it was going to be terrible, but the rules seem to work this year. So, again, if they're trying to accomplish a goal, I think that injuries to go down, I think is going to be better for baseball. Obviously the fact that we haven't been able to see DeGrom for more than like three starts in a row, terrible. Sandy Cantara, the guy that we thought was like, Oh, new breed of like workhorse going to pitch up. He eventually fell apart. I think too many guys are falling apart. So, and the fact that we're still seeing those 
pitch counts go up. It's just that they're throwing five innings, a hundred pitches. And especially when you're throwing five innings, a hundred pitches, because you're just trying to throw hard and you're trying to throw with a lot of spin rate and throw with a lot of ELO. Obviously it's going to go to more injuries. Again, I think there's a way to go about this. I don't know what that way is. Cause again, people are a lot smarter than me getting paid to make these rules. So I think if they go about it the right way, we can see these decrease in injuries. So I would love to see a decrease in injuries. Well, so you said you do not know how these rules are going to play out, but we have our trusty source book here that has three proposed ideas that are circulating around the inner workings of the Manhattan offices. And without further ado, we'd like to propose three Major League Baseball new rules for the 2024 season that will lead to a decrease in velocity and a decrease in injuries. And the first one is known as the double hook. What this rule means is that the designated hitter is universal as implemented last season or two years ago in Major League Baseball. You start a game as you would in the 2023 season. However, as soon as the starting pitcher is removed, you've lost the designated hitter spot. For example, if you are the prime Boston Red Sox, David Ortiz is hitting fourth in your order and John Lester is on the game starting. In the sixth inning, you pull Jonathan Lester and Koji Uihara comes into the game. David Ortiz is now out of your lineup as well. And Koji Uihara is now your four hitter in the order. This is the way to lose him closer, Dylan. Get your facts straight. Be like Bobby Jenks. Bobby Jenks comes in. But this is a way to incentivize teams to keep their starting pitcher in for a longer amount of time. And in order for a pitcher to throw for a longer amount of time, this will mean that you cannot go max effort on every single pitch. As we're seeing now, teams are telling their starters, throw as hard as you can for every single pitch. For five innings, the five and dive scenario. Here we're going back to the old school of baseball where if you want to keep your big slugger DH in the game, you're going to have to let your starting pitcher go seven innings, eight innings. And the only way to accomplish that is to not go max effort on every single pitch. This would also bring a lot of strategy back into the game of when to pull your starting pitcher. It might kill the opener strategy unless you're willing to tank your DH position. It could also mean interesting what happens with Shohei Otani. But James, I'll come to you first. Your thoughts on the double hook rule that might be implemented in Major League Baseball next year? Oh, that's the worst rule I've ever heard. Um, it's killing a position that was just introduced back into the game. We made the DH universal in both leagues for a reason. Um, and I think it takes away from having, you know, special guys like Otani. Uh, you know, funny, cool seasons like Schwarber where he hits sub 200, has a barely positive war and hits like 43 homers. Um, the DH is an awesome position. Um, I think it's awesome that we just have guys that get to sit on the dugout for nine innings and go up and try and mash baseballs for four ABs. Um, and I don't think that's something you want to get rid of. Um, we shouldn't compromise the integrity of one position uh, in order to try and fix uh pitching and, and the way pitchers are used. Um, I think there has to be better ways to, to go about this. I, don't, I really like this rule. As much as I know it's anti-everything baseball, I really think this could work. And I think it, it, it serves its purpose. If the whole point of we want pitchers to not throw max effort on every pitch, this does that. Unless you're the type of team that realizes we don't care about the DH spot, and that's going to become a mix and match where we'll have a very deep bench, and we'll get to the how benches might be altered next year in our second rule. But you could be the type of team that says that eighth spot in the order, which would usually be our DH, we don't care, and it's going to be mix and matching throughout the game. But I really think this does 
improve baseball. And maybe this is just James. You're an American League fan, so you're used to the universal DH and you like that brand of baseball. I still do miss the double switch, the bullpen management, the figure out who should pinch run and pinch hit in the NL brand. And I have not forgotten about that. And this is a way, I know this was initially discussed when they wanted to go to the universal DH, this rule. It seems like it's back for a different reason with the whole not letting pitchers go max effort five and dive. But I do really like this rule. Nico, your thoughts, because you've experienced as a Red Sox and Marlins fan, both the NL and the AL style of baseball. I'm kind of torn. I'm kind of torn because I hate the opener with a burning passion. I think that's my least favorite part of baseball. The fact that we're just starting relievers for some reason, because and having them get one time through the order, like two, not even one time through the order, I think it really devalues starting pitching. It may also be because I just hate the Rays in general, but I don't know. On the other hand, I have to agree with James about the fact that we just went and switched the rule for a designated hitter. Worked extremely well. People loved it. And then we're just going to go back on it. Really well, you still have that. the DH. Yeah, you do. But again, the big reason we're putting in the DH was to increase offense and to, again, the DH is just that specialized hitter who just rakes but can't play defense. And again, had so much success this year. And we're just going to kind of throw it away in a sense, like me and go like 50% back. Uh, again, I don't know if it's a rule change. Again, I don't know what the rule is, but I think it also could be just a cultural change. I think we kind of need to see like almost a money ball perspective where just a stark contrast to what everything's doing now, like a Maddox type pitcher. Obviously, no one's going to be as good as Maddox, but just someone who comes in is like pure finesse. And again, reaffirms the fact that you can have a guy who doesn't throw 100 and is still able to go eight innings, seven innings consistently. I don't. Again, this one I'm kind of torn on because I like the idea and I like the management because of the Marlins, but at the same time, we're losing David Ortiz if I say it like this. I think the problem is, and you're saying we need that guy to break in the major leagues throwing 87. The problem is that guy doesn't even make it past single A at this point, let alone he might not even get drafted because I think teams, as much as we want them to focus on getting a finesse pitcher, you can even see this in James. You see this at the college level. And Nico, you see this at the college level. A kid throwing 87 might not even make his D1 program. So now I don't know how likely he is to even get drafted, let alone think he's going to ascend all the way to the major league level, because at some point you could have the best stuff ever. A team wants to see at least a 90, if not a one to start that radar gun. Yeah. But I think, I think, I think the thing that that's just never going to happen. It's just unrealistic expectation. Uh, You know, I've seen numbers being floated around on Twitter, uh, batting average on fastballs thrown 93 miles an hour or less uh, on the outer edge of the plate. So one baseball <laughs> on the edge uh, inside and outside hitters are hitting. I think it's like 80 or 90 batting average points higher than on 96 plus mile an hour fastballs right down the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just don't think there's anything to combat that. I understand we want to see a different kind of game and you, and you want to try and combat velocity and arm injuries. Uh, but that's that's just not the direction this game is going to go. And I don't think there's any way you can ever ever change the the course that, that the game is on. Um, I think everything eventually evens out. You know, I think maybe we get more guys that hit like Arias, uh, and you know, maybe then pitchers have to start looking back and being like, well, maybe we are compromising ourselves by throwing so hard, uh, and guys are just starting to you know hit for average and hit for singles again. Uh, but until the game balances back out again, there's no point in in Major League Baseball trying to 
to find an answer uh, to this problem. So Potter, I'm going to come to you in a second, but I'm first going to introduce the second rule that it might either come in on its own or it might be a caveat to slash contingent on the first rule coming into effect. And that is the roster manipulation. At the current state of baseball, you are able to have a 26-man roster of whoever you want. In theory, you could have nine position players and quick math, that's 17, 17 yep. pitchers. Get that. Or you could have 26 position players and one pitcher. Major League Baseball would now be limiting the number of pitchers you have on your roster to 11 or 12. For reference, currently, there's around 13 to 14 pitchers per roster. This would, in a similar sense to the first rule, would make sure that you cannot just fire out nine one-inning guys to throw as hard as they can, but instead guys could not throw maximum effort because you now have to go two innings, three innings, or go on back-to-back days. Some could argue that could lead to more injuries at this point as well. But I think Major League Baseball's goal with that would be to say, you only have 11 bullets to use. They're going to need to be bigger bullets, and they're going to need to use them for a longer amount of time. You can't just throw nine fireballers out there. Your thoughts on potentially limiting the number of pitchers per roster and how this could potentially tie back to that first rule as well. Well, I mean, no one's throwing nine pitchers per game. Okay. Most teams are not, but... First, I just want to give my quick opinion on all of this. We're not telling Christian McCaffrey to run slower so he doesn't tear an ACL. We are not telling basketball players to not jump higher so that they can dunk the ball. Why are we now now telling pitchers that they're not supposed to compete at the most intense level possible? I think I think it's I think it's absurd. I think you're now telling pitchers don't go out and compete and hang your nuts and be a dog. Instead, we're going to be a little pansy flower and we're going to throw 75%. And all it is, is MLB wants more clips and sound bites for their Instagram and their Twitter of balls going over the fence and, you know, the bird bath getting splashed by water by the guy who has the hose in, in Camden Yards. And I think it's pretty clear that this is the reason that they're doing it. They want more offense. Um, but I just think it's absolutely ridiculous. And now we're telling players how they're allowed to, or how they should play the game. Let these guys compete, let them do their thing, let them be competitors because at the end of the day, now you're, you're, you're directly changing the game. You're not changing the rules. You're changing how the game is being played now. Well, it's, um, not, only, it's not that though. It's that the problem is that they can't compete because half of the aces in the MLB right now are medical patients instead of being baseball players. How about, how about we how about we focus on then prehab? How about we focus on rehab? How about we focus on some stuff that's going to help them stay healthy instead of just oh they're going to compete at not at, at the at a lesser level than they're capable of. No it's, one's saying for them to throw because the thing is we that's not a new concept. People throwing not throwing 100% again up until what 2012, not throwing 100% every single pitch was the status quo because we understood that people were starters. Because but it's not had, up to the league. To it's not up to this. the league. It's not the league to tell them when they're can their heart. They're, they're they not can. telling them that. They're going in and putting rules in place that incentivizes you understanding that you have to limit yourself so that you can go longer in games. You don't want to see Corbin Burns go longer in games. You don't want to see Sandy Alcantara actually on the field and not in a freaking it's up to the it's up to, to their rehab. manager. It's up to their managers, up to their teams, up to themselves. It's not up to the league. I completely disagree with you. If there's a way that they can prevent it without telling them actually throw slower. 
if they have a way of doing it, not saying that these are the ways to do it, but they have a way to make people go longer into games. Why wouldn't you want it? I don't, I'm not saying that these are the right ways to go about it, but I think it's less competitive. It's less competitive. Rom has spent more time in his career at whatever hospital he's been at doing rehab or whatever freaking training facility he needs to do. Uh, Nico, Nico, no I think he spent more time under the, under the knife (laughs) than actually pitching baseball games. Hospital for special surgery. Shout out Rock Positano, guest of Side Retired. And he mentioned this. And it was also Steve Gelbs on the Mets broadcast that mentioned this. And for people who have a rubber band with them or quickly go get one as we try to demonstrate this on an audio-only podcast. If you have a rubber band and you're going to stretch it out 60 to 70%, that rubber band is not going to break because you're not pressing it to its fullest. And at any given point, you could stretch that rubber band out to 100%. And it's not going to break because it has the elasticity to bend up to a certain point. Imagine that rubber band is like your UCL and that if you're working at 70% for 90 to 100 pitches, it's not going to put stress on it. And Ron Darling then summed it up decently as well in that he said, you're able to then push it to the max, even to the limit for 10 pitches an outing. That's the key number that pitchers throughout the 80s, 90s, and early 2000s used in that If you have a bases loaded situation, throw your hardest, give them your fastest pitch. But when you're up 10 to zero in the third inning of a meaningless game, there is no reason to push that rubber band to the maximum. Major league pitchers now, even if you put them on a pitch count or a pitch limit, which some teams are doing like, oh, we're going to cap his innings or he's got five up downs. That doesn't matter because if you are stretching your rubber band at 100 to 110%, even for 30 pitches a night, there's still a much higher chance that you're going to break that rubber band, aka the UCL, than if you were just doing it 70% for 100 pitches. So this whole, like, we're going to limit injuries by, as teams are trying to do it, with a pitch limit or with an innings limit, means nothing when pitchers are going at 100%. So this is why the league has to step in and somehow figure out a way to ensure that teams aren't going to push their pitchers to 100%, because in all honesty, a team couldn't care less if that rental pitcher gets injured because they have insurance on the full contract and they're still going to get all the merchandise from, I hate to say this, the, the Texas Rangers made a fortune off of Jacob deGrom this year without him playing a game because they got all the merchandise sales. They got the jersey sales. They, inset, they what's it called, insured his entire $40 million contract for this year. So they didn't pay really anything to have the former Cy Young on their team. And while it sucks that he didn't pitch for them, the Texas Rangers would do this contract again and again and again, and they couldn't care less that he's going under the knife and missing the next year. It's on the league to figure out how to get them to care slash how to fix it because the league is what ideally cares because obviously the product is a lot worse with Jacob deGrom or Sandy Alcantara or Shane McClanahan or Felix Bautista or whoever you else you want to throw on there, Walker Bueller not being on the field right now. But we do have a third rule as well that is a little bit different and you have to get into the psychology of a pitcher in order to understand this one. And Nico backed me up on this one. When you're overthrowing as a pitcher or you're throwing 110%, the majority of the time you're missing up. So MLB is going to move the strike zone down in an effort to make sure that pitchers have to throw 70% and that way they have to aim down with the ball. It's going to be a minor adjustment, apparently. It would only be like three to four inches, but it would likely go from the shin slash the bottom of your knee to below the belt, as opposed to now where it's the top of your knee to slightly above the belt. 
Again, people might not see this as a big deal. And I'm not sure this is the one of the three rules that I'm not a huge fan of because I don't think it's actually going to make an impact. But I get where they're trying to do something and that they want pitchers to not throw their hardest because as Potter and I know, when we're overthrowing, we are missing up and arm side. So this is their attempt to try to make sure that pitchers are slowing it down and going for the low part of the strike zone. This well, one, I just want to say, yeah, I hate this one so much. <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Although, although I will say, as a Mets fan, if it means that we're going to get maybe ten less guys plunked next year, <laughs> I'm not that opposed to it. But other than that, I think this is absolutely insane. You're gonna you have to reteach pitchers how to pitch now. Aaron Judge will lead the league in strikeouts if this happens. <laughs> like there's zero doubt. No, I'm not even saying that as a joke. I mean, if you look at any like multiple things have come out about it, Aaron Judge routinely gets the shaft when it comes to the low part of the zone because he is so tall. I think he had the highest low pitch call rate, like for like the last like four or five years, just because he's just so ginormous. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you shift it down, then that means that his lower part of the strike zone is getting shifted down. This guy's gonna get balls called in the dirt at this point if we if we do this one again. I don't. I'm not really a huge fan of any of these ideas. I'm not saying that they're like bad. I do want to say that this is a problem. I think that it's completely a problem. I think if you look at this and you're like, yeah, it's okay that 15 of the 30 teams that their ace or their number two is getting. I mean, the Dodgers again, perfect example. Two of their guys that again we're looking to see that be maybe even the number one or the number two if Kershaw slowed down this year both went down with elbow injuries. I think that this is a problem. I don't know if these three are doing it. Definitely not the third, but I think I understand what you're saying, Potter, that you don't want to tell guys to not compete. I don't think this is at all what this is saying. I think if you look at what the state of the league is and pitcher arm health, I think something has to be different. And again, so the reminder that the three rules are the double hook where you lose the DH when you pull your starting pitcher. We have the limiting pitcher rosters to 11 to 12 players. And then we finally have the lowering of the strike zone it would for what it's worth remain the same size it would just be lowered by a couple inches so we'll go around the horn here david i'll start with you do we have a taker on deal number one two three or no deal at all and just give us a quick yes or no and then we'll move on to the next guy so david then potter then nico then james so david um i'm not really a taker on any of the deals because um I think the strike zone being lowered is a bit ridiculous. And then the pitcher swap, the DH, and the, and the other pitching rules. I mean, I get it. They want to make sure the pitchers are not blowing their arms out, but they got to be a more simpler way than to just take the DH out of the lineup. I like it. Potter, one, two, three, or no? No deal. Not a surprise for me. You know, I, I've said where I stand here. Nico, one, two, three. Um, like the idea. Maybe two. Maybe two, but other than that, no. James, one, two, three. None of them. It won't fix anything. It'll only just hurt other people and other stuff on the game. All right. I'll be the contrarian, and maybe that's because I'm I'm supposed to like these rules based on my boss. Give me deal number one. I really do think. The double hook helps because it brings strategy back in and that starting pitchers are now going to have to go long into games. And I think deal number two works if deal number one is in place because I think those could work well together. The one problem is you might see 
I know Mets fans grow accustomed to the Syracuse shuffle where you have those fringe relievers going back and forth all the time. However, maybe there will have to be another rule inserted there about how many guys you, how many times you can option a guy down to the minor leagues and all that sort of stuff. But I do think there's potential there for a rule to be set in place because pitcher injuries are indeed an issue. Velocity is once again up. Strikeouts are once again up. Walks are way up. So this is, this is a better brand of baseball in 2023 than it was in 2022 due to the pace of play rules. And I think when the pitch clock was first invented, there was a lot of people against it. Potter, I know you and I hated the rule at the beginning of this year, partially because of my internship. Still do. I, I, I do really like the pitch clock now, and I, I've come along on it a lot. You're not going like to have to say Potter. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think the same thing could be the case here, where when we first hear it, it sounds awful, and it's like, how is this baseball? You're getting rid of the DH. You're telling us how many pitchers. You're telling us how to roster manipulate. You're telling me that a pitch that's at my shins is now a strike. But I think just like the pitch clock, we will get used to it and we'll be completely fine midway through the year. Nico. What's the pitch clock at right now? 15 seconds when nobody's on base, 20 seconds when there's guys on base. 30 seconds in between batters and around a hundred special rules and situations that only a little pitch clock operator like myself would learn the minute details of. Because I honestly think that the pitch clock is going to have an effect on this. Like just the fact that I think the perfect example is the story of what Alec Manoa went through this year. I think the pitch clock had a lot to do with it. I think a lot of pitchers, again, and this led to the higher increase in time Mm -hmm. were throwing a hundred percent. And if you do anything at 100%, you take a break. And then you get back on the mound and you throw 100%. I think Manoa is a prime example of this. He went and tried to throw as hard as he can, took two and a half minutes to get back on the mound, threw as hard as he can again, took two and a half minutes to get on the mound. I think that the pitch clock may have an, an unwanted effect on this, where, again, you're limited to 20 seconds. You don't have really the time to th- go and throw 100%, regroup, and be successful consistently. Again, Alec Manoa, perfect example. So I think maybe in the next couple of years, we start maybe to see a little bit of like the gas pedal taken off for some reason of pitchers. Honestly, just get tired. You're out of breath. And if you're throwing at 100% every single pitch, apart from the health, you're just tired. So maybe, hopefully, maybe we can see this go on, just me wishful thinking so we don't have to change too much. That pitchers kind of adjust because of the pitch clock to, hey, I can't go max intent here. Maybe I can go 90%. 95% now have to be at a hundred just so that they're not gassed every single pitch and have to get back on the mountain throw. I like it. And we shall see, obviously still focus on the major league baseball postseason, As we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, still a lot of fun matchups there, but again, the people behind the scenes are already focused on how to improve the game next year. And we'll be in for a good brand of baseball, regardless of what happens. But of course, keep it here locked in. We'll give you at least three episodes a week throughout the upcoming weeks for the playoffs with some interviews, some instant reactions, some fun stuff, some guests, some fan experience. I know Sam Duchansky is begging to come back on to talk about Phillies baseball. We've got some other Astros fans and other fun guys that want to hop on with us to talk about their teams going through the playoffs. Some great interviews. We've got some more college coaches, some former players lined up to ready to go. So keep it locked in here at Side Retired. Fun stuff in the MLB playoffs and in the offseason coming up soon. But Boys, this was our longest slash final weekend recap of we're almost hitting the hour mark. It is 1.30 in the morning here on the East Coast. So I think it's time to wrap things up. But for Dylan, James, 
Nico, Potter, and David. We'll see you guys in a couple of days. And the side is retired.